big welcome to those who are worshiping with us at our North Platte campus. It's an exciting day, right? In a couple of days, we are going to be celebrating the 4th of July. But here at New Life on this Sunday, we're celebrating a freedom that's even greater than we'll celebrate two days from now. We're celebrating the freedom that comes through Jesus Christ. His death on the cross and his resurrection brought spiritual freedom. And that's what we're here celebrating today. So welcome. Glad to have you guys with us. Hey, by the way, talking about spiritual freedom, last week at New Life, last Sunday, right, in one of our six services, we ended up having five different people commit their life to Jesus Christ and say, I want to be my Lord and my leader. Congratulations. Right, I just think that's exciting. Those are the kind of things we need to celebrate. And so if you're one of those five people and you're back here again worshiping with us, I just want to say from me to you, congratulations. You made the right choice. And let us as a church rally around you. And may you become part of our body in such a way that we all continue to grow together um, in the image and the likeness of Christ and in the love of Jesus Christ. Amen? Right on. Hey, we're continuing our teaching series. Uh, We've entitled it Unstoppable. And we've just been looking at stories throughout God's Word that just remind us of how powerful God really is. And today, we're going to do something. We're going to look at a story that's going to blow your mind away, right? But this story instantaneously divides our, our congregation at both of our campuses into three categories. And you're going to discover which of those three categories this story is speaking to you about. So you're going to want to be engaged. You're going to want to be listening. Um, if you've got your smartphone with you, uh, I would encourage you to access your Uversion app. If you don't have that, it's a free download um, on, your, um, on your app store. Get, get the Uversion app and then quickly do a quick search for events and look for New Life Church and up, up comes New Life Church and then you get the notes for this sermon and you'll have them for the rest of the week. So I want to encourage you to, uh, to access that as well. Today we're going to be looking at a story about a prophet of God. His name is Elisha. Elisha was a prophet of God in the Old Testament. Elisha was a guy who followed his mentor, which name is very familiar uh, to many, but it's also very similar to his. It's called Elijah. And a lot of people get those confused. So Elijah was the mentor of Elisha. And today we're looking at Elisha. Now, these, these two men, Elijah and Elisha, they both knew the incredible power of God. I mean, they, they watched and they witnessed with their own life God do the miraculous. Like what seemed impossible, they watched God do over and over and over and over again. Um, I'm one man that can tell you with great confidence that Elisha, Elisha was a prophet who truly understood in a tangible way, the unstoppable power of God. And I want to show you one of those encounters that he has with God. I want to show you a story that comes from 2 Kings chapter 6. Now, again, 2 Kings is in the Old Testament. So if you've got a Bible with you, find it there. Um, right? if, you, if, you're in, if you're flipping along and you find 1 Kings, guess what? <laughs> you're close, all right? You're really close. It's going to be the next book. So um, if you find third Kings, then that's not a Bible, okay? Because there is no third Kings in the Bible. You've picked up the wrong book somewhere. Um, So second Kings chapter six, uh, the story is so long. It goes from verse 24 to the end, and then it jumps into chapter seven. It goes all the way to chapter seven um, that I'm not going to read all of that to you. We will look at a couple of those scriptures, but let me just kind of jump in and tell you how the story goes down. We find in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 24, that Elisha is living in a town called Samaria. 
Um, And in this town of Samaria, it's been surrounded by a king, the king of Aram. Now, the king of Aram would be in what we would know today as modern-day Syria. And uh, Samaria, where Elisha is at, is modern-day Israel. And it's kind of in the heart of Israel. And so the king from the Syria area, Aram, has come down and he's attacking the city. And he's actually besieged it. So he's put a siege on the town of Samaria. Now, for some of you, um, you might know some about the New Testament and you've heard the region of Samaria. This is not the same thing. So this is just a town and the enemy has come and he's sieged it, meaning he's surrounded it completely with an army. Nobody's coming in. Nobody's going out. There is no more food going in, right? There's no more drink going in. Whatever they have inside of these walls when the enemy showed up is what they have. So they're in a ticking time bomb situation where they only have so many resources. And as long as the enemy you know, puts the siege on them, it's just a matter of time before they run out of resources on the inside and the enemy gets everything that he wants. And in the Bible, it starts talking about how bad the siege was, which caused a tremendous famine inside of the city to where pieces of meat that were not normally the prime choices of meat were selling for tons and tons of money. In, in our dollars, a, um, a donkey's head, the Bible was talking about here, would have sold for thousands of dollars a donkey's head in our day and age. Can you imagine that? A famine so bad where you and me live, where you go to the store and there is no meat, but some dude's out on the corner and he's like, chopped off a donkey head, you can have her $2,000. I mean, I don't know about you, I would probably rather eat chocolate-covered ants, right? And, uh, I mean, than to eat a donkey's head, that just doesn't, doesn't equate to me. They're also selling things like dove's dung, dove's dung, and they're selling it primarily to cook with, right? Because they don't have anything else to prepare meals with or to cook anything with, and dove's dung wouldn't have cost a single cent, but now dove's dung is costing you five pieces of silver, Five pieces of silver. Equate that to today's economy, right? And then think about how, how important a dove would be then, if you can sell its dung, something you couldn't even sell. So this famine and this siege was incredible, and it brought a lot of stress and a lot of pain on the city to where the king, the leader, he's living in this himself, and one day he's out and he's walking the walls. He's just up on the wall, right? And he's looking down and he's thinking and he's pondering to himself, like, what's going to be the next move? The people that I lead are in such turmoil and distress. What am I going to do? How do I help these people, right? And then he realizes the very wall I'm walking on that protected me from the enemies has now become the wall that imprisons us. And on that wall that day, the Bible gives us an example of really just how bad this siege was. So take a listen to these scriptures. They're going to be a bit, um, a bit challenging. It says that one day, as the king of Israel was walking along the wall of the city, a woman called to him and said, Please help me, my lord, the king. And he answered, If the lord doesn't help you, what can I do? Right? I have neither food from the threshing floor nor wine from the press to give you. Like, I'm hopeless. There's nothing I can do. But then the king asked, What is the matter? And she replied, this woman said to me, come on, let's eat your son today. Then we will eat my son tomorrow. So we cooked my son and we ate him. Then the next day I said to her, kill your son so that we can eat him. But she's hidden him. When the king heard this, he tore his clothes in despair. I mean, what would a leader do when a leader of a town has a town in such 
such difficulty. What a brutal situation. What a desperate situation. What would he do? Right? And he doesn't even answer her. He can't even address the situation. He just has to walk off. That's how bad things were in the town of Samaria. You and me, we can't even fathom it. You can't even wrap your head around it, can you? Many of you are sitting here right now and you're going, that's actually in the Bible? I'm reading that as soon as I get home. And you know what? I'm just telling you right now, it's not the normal scriptures that you preach. So when you hear us say things like this, hey, this this auditorium and our our, our auditoriums are set up for adults, it's because we're gonna read stuff like that. You don't read stuff like that in Power Kids, by the way. Right? So we go to a different level here. So please, use Power Kids ministry, or otherwise right now you're kind of torqued at me because you're like, how dare you read cannibalism scripture while my kid's here? Well, I would maybe say to you, how dare you keep your kid from giving the, getting the best at Power Kids? That's what I might say, but I didn't say it. All right. <laughs> I just said that's what I might say. Um, so here's the king, and he's dealing with this whole situation, right? And the king got so distraught that the king said to himself, there's got to be vengeance. Like, somebody's got to pay for this. And so he's going to take it out on God. And so he goes after Elisha, who's the prophet, who's living there. And and he makes this decree, and he says this, by the end of today, I'm taking the head off of Elisha. The the second brutal situation that's taking place here. I'm going to take him down, taking his head right off of his shoulders. And he sends a guard to go and get Elisha. Well, he, the king can't even wait. Like, the king can't wait for the guard to get Elisha. The king follows the guard and walks right into the door where Elisha's living. Except for, this is what happens. God tells Elisha, hey, the king's coming to kill you and to take your head right off your shoulders. Now, why would the king want to do that? The king probably wants to do it because, you know, Elisha represents God. And he's thinking to himself, Elisha, I know you've experienced the unstoppable power of God. And if you're living in this town, why aren't you doing something to take away this pain? And since you're not, then God must not exist and I'm taking you out. Right? I'm going to show the people I'm doing something on their behalf. And if it's not that way, it could be the opposite. Like maybe, Elisha, you know the power of God so much, maybe you're the one who called down this curse upon our city. And if you are, I'm the leader, and I'm going to show the people I'm going to do something about this because God's not doing anything. I've got to do something. So when he comes walking through the doors, Elisha stands there boldly in front of the king, and he begins to prophesy, here's what's going to happen in the next 24 hours in this city. And he says these words to the king. Number one, the, the uh, famine, it's going to be completely over. Everything's going to turn around. We're going to go from this devastating situation to an abundance. And as soon as he says that, the officer who's there with the king, check this out. The officer who's there with the king just gets this rage. Like gets, he just gets torqued on the inside. And he says, that could never happen even if the Lord opened up the windows of heaven. And when Elisha heard that, Elisha snaps and he turns and he looks at that guy right in the eyes and he says to him these words You will see it happen with your own eyes, but you won't be able to eat any of it Well later that night As the enemy still has Samaria Under siege There's these four men with leprosy that are living outside the gate They uh, there's dying with leprosy, 
right? And they think to themselves, we're dying with leprosy. And inside of the city, you know, where people used to come in and out of this gate and just give us scraps of food from time to time or, you know, throw us a shekel from moment to moment, um, you know, we're, we're getting nothing. So there, there's death in the city. We're dying here at the gates, and the enemy's out there going to attack us at any moment. We, we should do something. Like, maybe we should just go and surrender to the enemy because what do we really have to lose anyways? And so they go, and they decide, we're going to do it. And off they walk. They walk right to the enemy's camp, and lo and behold, this is what they find. There's no enemy. There is no enemy. Nobody's there. There is a field full of tents, horses, donkeys, food, wine, gold, silver. It's as if the, the enemy disappeared in the middle of the night. And these, these four men with leprosy are thinking to themselves, <laughs> We're rich, right? Like, this is the greatest thing we've ever got. I mean, I can't believe this. This is amazing. And what do they do for the next few hours? They gorge themselves. They eat as much as they can eat. They drink as much as they can drink. They take gold and they take silver. And it says that they actually hid it and they buried it. Until all of a sudden, they wake up from this crazy moment that's happening around them. And they say this, this isn't right. This is a day of good news. And we need to share it with our suffering town people. So they immediately went back to the city gates. They weren't allowed in, but they shouted to the guard that was there. And they told them, hey, the enemy's abandoned everything. We need to get out there and take it all. Well, the king, when he heard this, rightly so, he said to himself, well, let's send out some scouts. And let's make sure this is right. Because maybe the enemies convinced these four men with leprosy to trick us, to get us out there and just kill us, right? But when the scouts came back, they said, yeah, it's for real. The enemy is gone. Everything is ours. So here's what the king does. The king says, when the people hear about this, they're they're going to just go crazy, right? They're going to like bust down the gates. We've got to have some command and control. So he goes to that same officer that went with him to Elisha's house, and he says, you go to the main gate. I want you to control the gate so that the people don't just go into an hysteria, go into a riot. I want you to control it, right? You've got the authority. You stand there and control it. And then the gates open up, and when the people hear about the, 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 the story of all of the food and all of the drink and all of the stuff to plunder, they rush the gate with such force that they trample down the officer, and he dies right there. And the prophecy of Elisha completely comes true that the unstoppable power of God was proven to be true that very day when the famine was broken and when the guard who had said, God can't do anything like that, gets, he hears about it, he sees it, but he can't eat it, and he dies that very day. Now, there's a number of things we can learn from a story like this, and you're sitting there right now going, I've been to church a lot of years in my life, Jeff. I don't think I've been presented with a story like this for a long time. Where are you going to go with this? There's a lot of things to glean from this unstoppable power of God that's been put on display here. The first thing that I really kind of want to focus in on is that the unstoppable power of God, it can break your siege. Some of you are here today, and you're in a dire state of spiritual starvation. And I want you to know today, God can break the siege, and he can start filling your hungry spiritual heart. Some of you are here today, and you are in a literal siege. The enemy has camped around your life. And what I want you to remember today is that our God is unstoppable, and he wants to work a miracle in your life today. And if God can change the dire situation of Samaria overnight, God can change your situation even this morning. 
But here's some things we've got to do. We've got to be watchful. Here's the number one mistake that the town of Samaria made. They got too comfortable in what they had. They had evidently fortified walls that protected them from an enemy. And they thought to themselves, we're in the heart of Israel. What could ever happen to us? And they got lackadaisical. They got lazy in their everyday routines. Nobody was out there scouting to see if an enemy was coming. Nobody was out there looking to see what's happening. They were just all inward focused, enjoying what they had. They weren't being watchful anymore. And some of you today, you know that the enemy's breathing down your neck. You know that the enemy's beating down your door. You know that the enemy is gaining ground in your heart in this very moment in which you sit here today. And I challenge you today, sound the alarm. Sound the alarm. Wake up from your slumber. Begin to fight back spiritually. If an enemy's coming in to seize you, to, you know, come in and camp around you and kill you and to take life from you, rise up today. Rise up today. Don't let the enemy take any more ground. Don't wait for him to get one inch closer. Rise up and fight back. Because I'll tell you, this is the attitude of Satan. If your life is like 100 acres and you decide it's okay that he has one acre, this is the attitude of the enemy that you have. He walks on the other 99 to get to his one. And then when he encamps on his one, he keeps and he constantly keeps intruding on the other 99. So if you're starving for more of God, then break down your pride and start running to God today. Start running to God this morning. And let's together, let's eradicate the enemy who is trying to besiege your life and to kill, steal, and destroy. Let's be more like the psalmist. The psalm, in Psalm 63, the psalmist said these words, Oh God, you're my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you, right? My whole body longs for you. Let's be like this guy. Except for, I do this in this parched and weary land where there is no water. So even in the midst of your struggle, whether it's a physical struggle, an emotional struggle, a spiritual struggle, no matter what you're struggling with in this parched land of your life, let's be like the psalmist and let's come back to him and says, but it, it doesn't matter what kind of parchedness I'm facing. It doesn't matter what the difficulty is I'm facing. I thirst for you, Lord, right? My soul, it thirsts for you. My whole body, it longs for you. I want you to notice where the desperateness is of the psalmist. In a dry and parched land, in a difficult situation, he's not saying, oh, God, by the way, will you take away the parchedness? Will you take away the pain? Will you take away the suffering and the trial and the struggle? He says to him, no, on the other hand, my soul, it thirsts for you. Where's his desperateness at? The desperateness isn't for God to eradicate the parchedness. It's for God to fill his longing, longing and thirsty soul for more of him. That's where our hearts need to be. We need to get more desperate for God to break the siege and to fill our hungry hearts. God, fill my hungry heart because if you do that, the siege will be broken. Fill my thirsty mouth because if you do that, the siege will be broken. And then we will find ourselves, just a, like the psalmist did, just a couple of verses later in verse 5 when he says, Okay, here's the deal, Lord. You satisfy me more than the richest feast. More than the richest feast. And I'll praise you with songs of joy. More than the feast that the four men with leprosy found that satisfied the people of Samaria, it was way more than that. Lord, it's not about the physical. It's not about you just fixing my, my struggle that I'm in. 
It's not just about that, although I believe you can do it. It's about coming and rising above that and going, Lord, you satisfy me more than even you fixing my problems. Like, you satisfy me, Lord. Even if the siege doesn't loosen, even if you know, my tr- troubles and my trials, they don't go away immediately, you still, you satisfy me. And church, that's where our attitudes have to come back to. We've got to come back to this place that no matter what we're facing, God still satisfies because he's unstoppable. On the flip side of that, though, there was another whole thing that's going on in this story. And you see this, that the unstoppable power of God, it will not be experienced if you doubt. I, like, remember, remember what happened to the officer when the officer was presented with the fact that God, an unstoppable, powerful God, is going to work a miracle, and this famine's going to be over tomorrow, right? And everything's going to change. And what does he do? He doubts it 100%, and he pays for it with his own life. In fact, as the story gives a recount at the end of chapter 7, here's what's said about that man. It says that the king's officer had replied, that couldn't happen. Like the famine, it can't go away. That couldn't happen even if the Lord opened the windows of heaven. And the man of God had said, you will see it happen with your own eyes, but you won't be able to eat any of it. And then what's the account tell us? And so it was, for the people trampled him to death at the gate. I know, I know that some of you, right, that you guys are facing difficult situations. I got that. I understand it, right? We all face difficult situations. I have my own, but we can't doubt God. And when you forget the unstoppable power of God, we tend to focus more on our problems than we focus on our opportunities. And that's the whole reason for this teaching series. The whole reason for this teaching series is this. We're going to have problems But I want to help our church get our eyes off the problems and get our eyes onto God where the opportunities come from. And this officer, all he could do is get his eyes on the problems. He couldn't see the potential of the opportunities that would come with an unstoppable God. And church, if there's nothing else that happens through this teaching series, I want this to happen. I want the word doubt to be removed from your spiritual vocabulary. And I want you to Try with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength to trust the power of the Holy Spirit to focus on his opportunities instead of just the problems that you're facing. And if we can get to that point with whatever you're dealing with, now what seems impossible can be possible. Because if God, again, can change Samaria overnight, he can definitely change your life. But if not, then spiritual death, it comes on the heels of doubting. That's where spiritual death is at. Spiritual death is right there. Where doubt is, it's coming. And it's coming to steal and kill the joy that can come. Like the psalmist says, I'll praise you with songs of joy even in a dry and weary land. So fight. Fight your emotions today. Fight back your feelings to hold on to a scripture like this one in Luke chapter 1, verse 37, where it reminds us that nothing is impossible with God. But I have to, I, I have to tell you one last thing that out of, this, out of this story that just jumped off the page at me. And it just convicted me to the core. And that was that the unstoppable power of God, church, has to be shared. It has to be shared. Like the unstoppable power of God is not just meant to be lived in this room or in whatever venue you're in right now. The unstoppable power of God is not just to be living inside of this container called the human body, that the unstoppable power of God has to get out and impact the hearts of others. 
And these four men with leprosy, when they were just enjoying all the plunder for themselves, they finally woke up, right? And they said those, those words that I read to you earlier. They said these words in this passage of Scripture. We're not doing right. This is a day of good news, and we're keeping it to ourselves. Notice, notice what is coming from their hearts. They've got the good news. We've got food. We have, we have drink. We've got gold, we've got silver, we've got tents, we've got horses, we've got armor, we've got weapons, we have it all. We've got the good news. It's not right for us to keep it to ourselves. And I want to say to you today, we've got the good news of Jesus Christ, and it is not right for us to keep it to ourselves. We've got the good news of Jesus. Don't get so preoccupied with your faith that you forget about sharing it with your community. So many of us are so preoccupied with our faith that we forget that there's a community of people that are dying, suffering, and that we're people of light, we're people of truth. In this church right here, people I'm speaking to, you're you're people of truth to take the word of Jesus Christ back out into the streets so the community might know who Jesus Christ is. Now, if you're here and you're exploring God and you've yet to commit your life to him, I got good news for you. You might, you might be walking out of something that you think, man, this is awesome. Like, I, this is incredible what I'm living in. But I'm telling you on the other side, a life with Jesus is, is so much greater than anything you've ever imagined. You might be living right now in what you consider to be this, the opposite of that. Hell on earth. I got good news for you. Jesus, he's going to fill your heart with joy today. But today, if you're here and you're not following Christ... You need to know it's possible to give your life to him. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how far you've slid. It's possible to surrender your life to Jesus today. And God's looking for you to open up your mouth and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and he's King of Kings and to invite him into your heart to forgive you of your sins. But when you come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, don't get so preoccupied with just what has to happen in you. Make sure you take the good news that you have and start sharing it with others. You see, church, this message applies to the newest of believers that will give their life to Jesus today and the most mature of believers that are here in this church. We never have the right to stop sharing the good news of Jesus with our community. So here's what I want you to do today. We're gonna sing one last song here at our Carney campus, as well as our North Platte campus. And during this last song, I want you to focus in on one of these three different things. You're either here today and you need to pray for someone who needs Jesus in their life. That's where you might be. Maybe these other points, they didn't really impact you today. But I guarantee you, that point impacts everybody. So while we sing this one last song, who's somebody that needs to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior? And I would, I would encourage you to be praying for them during this last song. Here's a point that might, might be something you need to focus on. Ask God to fill your starving heart today. You're starving for more of God? You feel like you're living in a parched land spiritually? Ask God to fill you. Like, come, come God, fill my hungry heart Fill my, my starving heart today. May I meet with you today. God will meet with you here in this place. Lastly, run to God and ask him to break the siege that the enemy has put on your life. Some of you, that's where you're at. You're just at a place where the enemy is camped around you. You know it. You feel like you're trapped. Ask the Lord. Run to him today. 
right? Chase after him. Don't do what the king did where he tried to kill the representative of God. That's the wrong move. Like, don't blame God for your struggles and your trials right now. That's the wrong move. That's only going to bring more sustained death, right? Run to God and say, God, the enemy has put a siege around my life. I feel it. I sense it. I've allowed him to do that. Lord, by the power of Jesus' name, would you break the curse of that sin on my life? And would you help me to live free today? In Jesus' name, amen. So you find yourself in one of those three categories. And while our worship teams lead us with this last song, I want to encourage you. Seek God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength today. All right? Are you with me? Okay. All right. Stand. Stand with me and let's pray. Lord, today we know this. You're all powerful, right? Like you can do anything right now, Lord. You, you can break the chains of sin. Um, you, can, you can reach out to a person that is feeling lost and distant from you, and you can grab a hold of their heart, and you can pull them in closer to you. Lord, you can take people that, are, that have, just feel spiritually hungry, and you can satisfy their hunger. Like right now, Lord, those who are thirsty and hungry, they shall be filled. I pray that in Jesus' name here at New Life Church, that the thirsty, they, they may drink of you, that the hungry, they may eat of you. Lord, those that are caught in the bondage of sin, they may be freed today in Jesus' name. Those who are searching you, wondering if they should give their life to you and surrender everything to you, I pray that today they would find Jesus as their Lord and as their Savior. I pray these things in Jesus' name. So Lord, may you come. Holy Spirit, come. Be with us in this place. Move, in, move at New Life Church with power and with authority. And may you draw us closer to you in these next few moments open up the heavens the heavens that the officer said weren't going to do anything we believe change eternity open up the heavens and pour down upon this place with every good and perfect thing that you have in store for this church in jesus name amen